Everyone dreams about living an uncommon life, but how we define that dream is very different for each of us. And for most, it's a lifelong pursuit. Welcome to the Uncommon Life Project Podcast. We're going to introduce you to people who are living that life or enjoying the journey to get there. We're going to also give you some tools, tricks, and tips for starting or accelerating your own efforts to live an uncommon life, a life worth celebrating and savoring. Please welcome your hosts, Brian Dewhurst and Philip Ramsey. Hello and welcome everybody to another episode of the Uncommon Life Project where I'm your host, Philip Ramsey. And I am Brian Dewhurst. Thanks for tuning in to another episode. We have a fun episode for you today and we're talking to an accountant, dum-dum-dum, tax guy, which is, I think, really important. Obviously, there's a component of business that has to do with taxes. Normally, no one's an expert, and so we thought we'd bring in our expert, the one and only Ricky DeHamer. But before we get him, I wanted to start with a, a review. We know, and you know, if you've listened to this, it's a big deal for us. So we're going to 100, hopefully. Uh, we're at 77 now. Man, it would be huge if you'd rate this for us and even write something. And I'm going to read one that is one of our favorites. Uh, and it says, these guys are the real deal. Great show, great content. Get ready to, for a mind shift. Uh, and that's from Mustachio number eight. Thank you very much. Mustachio. Love it. Anyway, okay. Ricky DeHamer is who we're talking to. Brian, what do you got for Ricky DeHamer? His bio. He's a rock star. Ricky is larger than life. He works and owns DeHamer Accounting with his father. And he is our personal accountant. That's pretty much the best intro you can give. I don't love those long paragraphs. Nobody likes it. Welcome to the show, Ricky DeHamer. Thanks for having me. First off, we've got a lot of questions. One thing that I really want to focus on in this whole episode is just like uncommon things. This is what we've heard most often. With accountants, they don't breathe, they're, they're not proactive with their clients. They are just more reactive where they'll get their tax return. Hey, here it is. Uh, and then we give them some ideas. Obviously, we're not tax guys. So we always say, hey, go, tax your, go talk to your tax guy. And they do. And immediately they're like, oh, yeah, we can do that. And our clients are like, why don't you tell me that? So Ricky, I would say, is one of those proactive guys. We love calling him. We call him all the time. He probably hates it, but we call him super personable. And so one thing I want to talk about through this is just some uncommon ideas tax-wise, but let's give some time for Ricky to talk. Tell us about your business. How did you get to where you're at? And how did you get to now owning your own tax business? Yeah. So um, in college, I was always an accounting major, kind of knew that was my thing. Um, and then, uh, out of college, I'd had a job offer, uh, going into my senior year to fortune 500 company and, um, kind of went that route for a little over six years and did the corporate accounting thing, did a variety of different jobs and was able to see many different things. Um, it just kind of got my appreciation for this different kind of aspects of accounting, but it kind of in the end, I think the most in, uh, important part was I didn't think I was making a, a huge difference where uh, in public accounting and working with individuals and small businesses, that impacts a lot larger, even though the, the numbers may be a lot smaller. So it's big for the business owners. It's huge yeah. for the business owners. I'll say that. So, yeah. yeah. So, I, so I've been uh, doing the public accounting. Uh, started work with my dad uh, about six years ago, 
and uh, acquired a couple different accounting practices and client lists on the way. Uh, uh, have a location in Creston, Iowa, along with a location here in Des Moines, and just kind of been going that route. The location in Creston has uh, got another acquisition to it, so own an office building and have uh, seven employees there. So we're, we're growing and moving and shaking. So. Okay, so let's let's just jump right into it. Here's one of the things that we see huge with starting businesses is the banks look at you like you have the blue bonnet plague. Like it's your ostracized because of one thing and one thing only. You you haven't been in business for 2 years. And so my personal testimony with Ricky and the accountant type of uh I would say role on my team or or person is that we got a loan from the bank before that two years because we had audited financials. So my first question is how important is having audited financials for the average business person? Yeah, so the most businesses don't have any actual um, official financial statements. So if you're using QuickBooks or spreadsheets or um, just even your tax return, there's not an actual financial statement there that the bank sees that's that's going to get you anywhere. So the the term audited financial statement, technically it's it's called a compilation or a compiled financial statement. Um, but that has to be done by a licensed public accountant. Someone has to sign off on that that says, hey, this is this is as, as good as we we know it is. And we're basically kind of ensuring that this financial statement is correct. So there's there's a lot behind that where the bank is saying, okay, now we have a professional that does accounting that says, you know, these are these are the real deal. So that that means something to the bank. And that's what I do for most of my small business clients is a compiled financial statement. So they could any month that we're working on their financials, they could take the most recent month to their banker and use that to start that loan process. So yeah, that's so here's my question. When should a client come to you in the infancy of a business from the idea to then having you do their, you know, numbers? When would you say is the ideal moment that they're like, yeah, reach out to somebody you or somebody like you? I think I think you should reach out to an accountant right away. If I think I'm gonna start a small business, you need to you need to get a hold of them. Now you might not need to, you know, partner with them on a regular basis, and they're doing all of your accounting, and you might not be there yet. Um, and I still have quite a few new small businesses that aren't, which is fine. But get a game plan together, talk to them, make sure that you know there's not anything that you're missing because there's always there's always something that you need to talk about, and it's gonna prevent some surprises when it comes time to do your your taxes. Definitely. Thank you, Ricky, for walking through that. I think one of the biggest challenges we see for a lot of business owners is starting to not only pay yourself a salary, but also to withhold tax. And I think that's equally as big a part of the front end of building a business or being an entrepreneur is to avoid that year-end surprise of like, Oh, so you, you owe wait, this. You still owe taxes when you're a business owner? That is so naive to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
every the, so the structure of the business is what would depend on if uh, a business owner is going to run payroll or not. Um, so if I'm in a new business, I'm just starting out. I'm I might be uh, the only person. I have no employees. Uh, in that case, it may not make sense to get to that point yet. You might just be doing estimated tax payments quarterly um, through basically your personal income tax return. But when you get to the point where it's like, I need to make a change, I'm either hiring employees or my business is taken off enough where this is my livelihood. This business is all that I do. It's not a side business. Like this is, this is my thing. At that point, it's probably makes sense to get you set up with payroll and doing withholdings and having a plan throughout the year. So when it comes time to do your tax return, you don't owe a bunch of money and you're trying to figure out, you know, how is, how are you going to come up with this? So, um, usually just setting some sort of base salary or wage that, um, you know, is reasonable for your business. Everyone's different. Mm -hmm. And then trying to get to the point where you can withhold income taxes for federal and state so that when it comes time, um, towards the end of the year, we're not trying to make up a lot of tax. So, it, it might be the case where you might need to do a bonus or um, make it adjustment because you've overwithheld. But um, usually when I've, I'm working with a business on a monthly basis, we're, we're kind of staying on top of that. So that's one of the advantages of having that relationship with the accountant that you kind of go back and forth that, you know, it just prevents that much more surprises and that accountant knows your business that much more. Mm-hmm. So they're able to give that much more advice. I think we touched on something I want to kind of dive in on quickly is the, the structure of your business. Like you can be an LLC, you can be a C corp, you can be an S corp. Um, I'm sure there's more. I just, Mm -hmm. those are like my, the ones I can think of off the top of my head. And uh, so I want you to walk through like each one of those and maybe why you would think about an S corp or Mm -hmm. if you make, this is one that we see a lot, Brian and I, uh, is when they're making over you know, let's say $15,000, but they have no corporate entity set up. Is that one, like, would that be maybe a benefit for to do, looking at? So I guess talk through it. You're the expert. I should stop talking. Um, walk through those. Yeah. So I, I'd say every small business needs to have some sort of entity in place. So I'm starting, I'm putting together all of my information setting up a business banking account, doing those things. Well, I need to have at a minimum a single member LLC in place. What that's going to do is it's going to give you a little bit of liability protection. You're going to have a separate checking account. So everything stays separate. When you have personal and business transactions mixed together, it gets ugly quick. You need to keep everything separate. Um, it sounds like more work, but in the end, it's going to be a lot less work. Mm-hmm. Um, and then. Once you get to the point of it's your livelihood, you're making money, then it makes sense to probably look at that S-Corp or C-Corp route. The big difference between those two is the S-Corp, I am, I'm, I'm still going to get taxed on it personally. So there's a form called a K-1 that says, this is how much money you made. It goes on your personal income tax return and your tax on that on top of your W-2. Where the C corporation, the difference is, is I'm getting a W-2 from them. And any money I get outside of that is a dividend, which is also taxable, where the distributions in an S-corp are not additional 
tax where the C corp got taxed on its income. So there's there's variations in there. And the reason why people go S corp versus C corp is the S corp generally you're going to end up paying less taxes. This is kind of what that com- the bottom line is. And the C corp, the reason why people choose that over the S corp is health insurance and those sort of benefits. Mm-hmm. You get more options in the C corp than you do with the S. Um, so it, every, every business is different. Every person's needs are different. So for any sort of blanket statement, say, hey, every business needs to go to this entity at this point. It's just not realistic. That's why you need to have that relationship with your accountant to say, hey, my business is now doing this and this is kind of my personal needs. What fits that? And you get to that point. I absolutely love that because that's the way Brian and I are consultants, more consulting. Like, tell me what you want your life to look like. And then let's try to figure out some tools and resources to get you there faster. Yeah. That's the way to do it. Instead of like going to a guy who's like, oh, I'm just going to set you up with this, that, and the other. No, they need to know what, what you're wanting from the business, uh, the type of things that you want the business to do. And all those questions would help you formulate a true, I would say, plan on what kind of entity to start or create. Yeah. So, yeah and, and realistically, most of the businesses that I see, small businesses are as corporations just because that fits most people. Not that it's the right or wrong answer. That's usually the direction most people are going in. Yeah, and I think this is interesting because LLCs, let's, let's just be honest, that's what uncommon wealth is. Um, and so you can be taxed as an S-corp. You can be an LLC taxed as an S-corp. And uh, to change that model is one piece of paper. <laughs> you yep. sign it. Form 2553. <laughs> Ta-da! <laughs> I love it. So, so. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's really... Since it's a a tax election, it's not that complicated to go from an LLC to being taxed as an S-corporation. Ricky, you hear a lot, you know, especially leading up to politics and with Trump in the White House, I'm not trying to get political, but the tax code is designed for businesses and to take risk because we employ people, um, we're investing in different things, we're creating products and services. And so... Can you walk our listener through the tax code? You kind of hear these things about loopholes and all this stuff, but a lot of it is for, I'd say most businesses, legitimate stuff because we're doing things to create new products and services and taking risk in the marketplace. Yeah. So the the big change um, in, happened in 2018 for small businesses where there's a qualified business income deduction or QBI. Sometimes people call it 199A. There's a couple different terms for it. But the bottom line of this deduction is you get a 20% deduction from your profit on your income tax return if you're a pass-through business. So S corporation, LLC, C corporation does not count. So this deduction is um, a new deduction that didn't exist before. So small businesses are paying less tax when they're an S corporation and LLC than they've done in the past. Um, so that's one reason why as far when I'm giving people advice on accelerating depreciation and trying to, you know, get, they're trying to lower their profit number as much. It's like, well, this deduction might not be around in the long term. Hard to predict tax law. And it probably makes sense to use this 20% deduction because it's here right now. And we don't know about tomorrow. So I think there's, there's some things to take advantage of that, um, 
you may not have had an opportunity to take advantage of before because it's a new tax law. So there's definitely small business tax law to help small businesses. Um, the C corporation in that tax law, they switched the, um, the tax rates down to them for 50%. But now if you're a small business, you're probably getting taxed at 10. Now you're up at 15. So it didn't actually help the small businesses on the C corp side. But, um, you know, it's basically just trying to increase kind of like an economic boost because most C corporations are large businesses. Mm -hmm. So in their mind, that's these C corporations are going to spend more money on employees or equipment or other things that will increase sales somewhere else. Gotcha. Now I want to flip over to the personal return because we hear this a ton and I think it hasn't been really clarified and you have a great way of breaking this down. Walk our listeners through the main four things now in terms of itemizing deductions on your personal return versus what it was kind of pre-Trump because I think you break this down when a lot of people think they're deducting all this mortgage interest or, you know, they're a couple thousand dollars to charity and in a large part now they're not. And so I think if you can frame that in, that'd be super helpful. Yeah. So, um, itemized deductions before, uh, this, so the standard deduction was, has always been the amount of, I either use a standard deduction or I itemize whatever is better. And if you were married filing joint in the past, you're getting approximately about $12,000 in a standard deduction. So if you had more deductions for mortgage interest, property tax, state income tax paid, charitable contributions, those things over 12,000, you itemized. And from the personal income tax repair side, I'd say most of the people that I do their tax return were itemizing a very high percentage, probably over 80% of tax returns were itemizing. In Iowa, the standard deduction's very small. Uh, it's just a few thousand dollars. So everyone itemizes Iowa. So, it's, so that was kind of the, the past that we had lived in where everyone itemized. Um, and then there was also a deduction called personal exemptions. So everyone got a deduction for everyone that was listed on the tax return. So if you had, you know, mom and dad and two kids, you had four people times the personal exemption amount. So they got rid of the personal exemptions, increased the standard deduction to 24000 in the married filing joint example, and also put a limit on state income taxes paid, including property tax at 10000 So it's that much harder to itemize where as a personal income tax repair, those 80% that were itemizing before, it's probably like 20%. It's changed drastically. So those people that are um, having those higher mortgage interest amounts and they're charitable and they're paying state income tax. They got 14,000 because the 10,000 limit. Sure. They're going to hit that, especially in Iowa and the property taxes, Amen. but we're looking at $14,000 between mortgage interest and charitable contributions. Probably are those the main two. That's a lot of, for a lot of people to get into that. And then on top of that, that's just to get a dollar of a deduction. So you come up with $24,001, you got $1 deduction more than the person just uses standard. So for, for the people that are charitable and they're getting to that point where they're right at that $24,000 mark, that's where there's donor advice funds. And you know, I, me personally, what I, I like to call the first 10, 10% is, is when I'm giving my 10% to like church, I'm also, I'm going to give my 10% for the next year at the end of the year. 
So I might double up contributions in one year. So I itemize that year. And then the next year I use standard deduction. So then I can at least use my deduction that way. So I think that's just one of the strategies that is really good. So I just want to walk through that again. So you basically uh, give your charitable giving and you squeeze them in one year. One's January 1st. The next one that you're going to give for that year, if you're going to go for this itemized deduction, would be a December 31st. So for you, it does kind of feel like a year, but for tax reasons, it's all in one year. And so the next year, then going to the standard deduction. So that's just, I think I wanted to clarify. Yep. Yep. And that's exactly right. And, and obviously from a cash flow standpoint, it might not be realistic for everyone, but it's, it's one of those things that if, if you're, if you're at that point and you're so close, especially the accountant in me, it's like, I got to make this work. You know, I got to figure out how I could use this. And the donor advice fund is also works too, where I can put all the money in this donor advice fund. And maybe it's a couple years worth of contributions. And then they um, do the contributions based upon your time frame that you give them. And sure, it still went out two or three years over that same time span. But because you put it in day one, that's when you get that deduction. So it, it works similar, but you know, it's just there's options there. So it's just, well, I can't itemize now. I'm just going to move on. Like, no, there's, there's some saves we can still figure out. So <laughs> some uncommon ways. Yep. And then for, for Iowa, you're, you're looking at itemizing probably no matter what. So at least for our state, there's not a lot of planning that goes involved in that. So it's really about federal, which is your big income tax one anyways. Okay. So let's go into some quirky things that you can do now with the tax code. Because there's all these different businesses coming up, Airbnb, Turo. How in the world does that affect taxes? And let's just talk through those. So go ahead. Yeah. So for the, I consider these kind of non-traditional small businesses. So like when someone's saying, Hey, I, I don't have a small business. I, I have W2 job. I got, I don't have a lot going on. It's like, well, there's other things that you may be doing on the side, including the Airbnb and Turo. So those are, those are small businesses from the standpoint what the IRS is concerned. So they're going to go on your schedule C as self-employed income. And you're paying self-employment tax on these things. So, I mean, that's one thing to think about is um, when I'm paying this additional 15.3% on top of my income tax, I want to make sure I'm getting all of my deductions in there. You know, like just because I, you know, I put, I got a 1099 from Airbnb and it's this amount. Well, you probably had some expenses. Did you run the water last month? <laughs> I mean, there's, there's some utilities and some other things going on. Yes. So there's things that you need to make sure are getting included. This kind of goes back to the, you need to have a relationship with an accountant to make sure that they understand what you're up to so that they could say, hey, this is the deductions you need to look out for. So we're not just paying an additional 15.3% plus income tax on your Airbnb 1099. And same thing with Truro, more, more and more people are renting out their cars and, you know, especially in larger cities. and that. Those those numbers can add up as well. So it's you know it's it's there's a lot to gain I think because you're talking about income that's off of assets that you already own, but we're also talking about there's some expenses that you need to make sure you include too because the you know the taxes will come back to bite you if you don't get those deductions you should put in there. So Ricky, one of our favorite things to help people with, and I think one of the objections we get or one of the um, 
biggest hangups for people be, you know, doing something entrepreneurial is benefits and more specifically health insurance. And so we've helped a lot of families evaluate some of these Christian sharing organizations, which you can't deduct that premium, um, but it does get you out of the penalty uh, for, you know, if you don't have a health plan, that counts as a health plan. But one of the things we've gravitated towards is an HRA. Um, Can you walk our listener through kind of the difference between an HRA and how it could be beneficial? Yeah, so, um, so the health reimbursement account is um, becoming more and more popular because the restrictions on it uh, aren't nearly the same as health insurance. So there's a lot of a lot of small businesses out there that want to offer health insurance to their employees, but it's just not realistic. It's just too expensive. So with HRAs, if I'm a small business and let's say I'm an S corp, I can offer an HRA to all of my employees, just as long as it's non-discriminatory. So everybody has the same policy. Everybody gets the same amount. Um, and then and then you basically, depending upon the policy and the program and everything in place, these people have medical expenses. They come back and they get it reimbursed through this uh, HRA. And essentially, it's, it's like, um, it's not necessarily health insurance, but it's like it where in you know, you don't have to pay all this out of pocket and you didn't really get it deducted anywhere where the employer in this case gets to deduct it as an employee benefit and the, the employee, which may be the same case in some, you know, in S Corp, there's going to be employers and employees are both the same, which there's some limits on the owner if there's an employee situation. So, um, but yes, in the, in the end though, you're going to be paying um, less for health insurance and you were able to deduct it on your business. So it's, it's a nice little, um, way to, to do that. So, yeah, I just want to go through this cause this is super cool and super confusing sometimes. So everyone knows normally the HSA, mm-hmm. the problem with the HSA is you have to fund that HSA account and it's usually for employees. Well, this one, business owners as entrepreneurs, the last thing we want to do is have an account to the left that we can't touch, no matter what the benefits is, because we just know we need cash flow to, you know, to start a business or do whatever. This HRA allows you to have kind of a earmarked account, kind of like an HSA, but it's an HRA where you don't necessarily have to fund it. But every time you have a medical expense, if you have this account set up, then you can now deduct that fully if you qualify. So that asterisk there. Mm-hmm. So. Well, and, and also with that HSA, another um, kind of challenge that people have is it also has to be coupled with health insurance. So that's where, you know, the HRA, you don't have to get into that challenge. I mean, they may have health insurance still, but, you know, basically any of their out-of-pocket expenses could still go through this. So it's a really cool instrument, I think, for mm-hmm. sure. What has it been like, I think, for you, you know, you're a business owner. I think that's one of the one of the other reasons we like working with you. Um, it's because you're doing this stuff as well. And so you just recently bought a business uh, in a different town and you're doing these entrepreneurial things. And I think it's important that, you know, a lot of people have access to H&R Block or TurboTax and that type of thing. But like, what is that switch you know, to kind of start working with an accountant versus maybe one of these, uh, maybe a more employee related type outfits or software? Well, 
probably because I'm an accountant. <laughs> my my opinion is is probably from day one. I rarely see anyone that's like you know probably should just do TurboTax with this one. <laughs> <laughs> it just so that the only ones that really are like yeah this this could get done by yourself is like a kid's tax return where they're, you know they're they're working summer job they have a W two and that's all they have that those are and those aren't the the fee for those that we're charging isn't much more than what TurboTax is going to charge them. So it's not, it's not going to be life-changing for them, but for anyone who's getting, that's actually on their own, they're on their own tax return. In those cases, let's say they're the most simple tax return. They're single. They have no kids. They don't have a house. Um, are they going to stay that way forever? I mean, I, I would assume not. So when it changes and they're, you know, they, they get something more complicated in their life than that, they should have an accountant there to help them through that. And if they're just starting that relationship right when that time happens, you know, it just depends on how that works out and the timing, but it may be too late and they already have gone down a path that doesn't make as much sense as another one. Sure. Totally. So what if you do realize that a couple years ago or last year, you really messed up or you thought you could maybe get a deduction that you did? Could you even go back at that point? So uh, you can amend back to three years. So that's where you, you just go into your accountant and say, hey, there's some deduction or something that we had missed and I want to get that included. So if you go, you can go back three years after that, you just lose. But um, you can, you can get amended and there is a process for that. It's, it's uh, a, a little bit more cumbersome than your regular filing, but otherwise, you know, it, it's something that I see probably more than I'd like to, but it's, it's not too challenging. So one of the buzzwords that we hear a lot, and I think it's been, you know, Tony Robbins talks a lot about it. There's been a lot more people uh, promoting this, but is the word fiduciary. And so in our business, you know, it's, um, we have to have the client's best interest in mind and all of our decisions, disclosures. Um, and that has to be very clear, uh, from the forefront. Um, I believe your industry is the same way. You act as a fiduciary for your client's return. Can you kind of shed light on that? Yeah. So any tax return that I do, um, every client signs an engagement letter. And in that engagement letter, it states, you know, basically I'll be doing my best job to do their tax return at the you know, the highest level that I can, the most accurate. And they're also providing me with the most accurate information as well. So it's it's kind of almost like a, a partnership agreement that says, hey, both of us are doing our best to get this to the best level that we can. And it kind of out, outlines all of those things. Uh, it's a nice read. It's about four pages if you really want to look <laughs> at it. <laughs> but I'd say most people get a little, a little uh, bored uh, reading one of those. But yeah, they're engagement letters, I'd say pretty much any um, practice that we have, if it's working with a business or payroll or income tax returns, you're going to sign an engagement letter. And it's really good for, for, for us as the accountants and then also for the clients. So they understand what they should expect to get. One of the things we've touched on in a previous episode that I think is maybe a good place to leave off for our conversation today is kind of like financial guilt and shame. There can be a lot of emotion wrapped up in taxes. Um, You know, parents may have made a bad decision in a business or all those different types of things. And there's just kind of a 
potential to get sideways with taxes, especially as an entrepreneur. And I think one of our biggest message was, you know, if you're really avoiding talking to somebody about your finances or your situation, um, the first step is just admitting you need help. And so can you kind of share with our listeners, maybe like what it's been with your experience, helping people maybe dig out or get things cleaned up and just the importance of that moving forward, not only financially, but maybe even just psychologically. Yeah. And, you know, one, one, uh, one uh, person I think of mind is actually one that we've both worked on where uh, we had to go back and amend every one of those years we could possibly could for the three years because there was something that was done incorrectly and we went back and amended a return and they ended up getting a bunch of refunds and money back. And, and in that regard, it was beneficial financially quite a bit for them. But I think the, the thing is, is when you get your tax return done or you, you're, you're, or you haven't gotten it done, there is some guilt there. We're like, ah, I don't want to talk to somebody about, you know, amending this because it was, I know I messed up or maybe you did it yourself on TurboTax, which I usually get each year and they just messed up on something and they got a letter from the IRS like, I'll just pay it. It's like, well, no, you don't know if that letter from the IRS is right. I get, I see it all the time where it says they owe thousands of dollars and they don't just come in, have someone look at it and don't just write a check, have them look at it. That's good. Okay. So I'm going to piggyback off that. What are the biggest whiffs that you've seen people on their taxes bring you in regards to taxes? You know, that they either don't deduct or they completely miss. Like, what are some of those? So I had a, I had a tax return this past year where they went to the two letters with a block <laughs> and they, it was that same tax year and they knew that something was wrong. And they're like, I don't know what's wrong with our tax return. It seems like our taxes are a lot higher than they were in previous years. I'm thinking, well, with the new rules, it's possible. It's just because you owe more, got a big refund, just because it's changed enough or may not mean it's wrong. Well, after looking at it, they had no deductions on their tax return. It's like, oh, you own a house, don't you? Oh, yeah. Oh, you have, you have a car, right? And, you know, you kind of go through some of these deductions and they just weren't on there and went through and changed the tax return, amended it and got them some more money. But, you know, in some of those cases, in that case, I, you know, I think that went down to the preparer, but in some other cases, you just may have forgotten where like it's always people forget their car registration. The likelihood of you remembering your car registration is probably zero. <laughs> so there's, there's some things like that where you just like remind everybody, it's like, oh, you forgot car registration or some of these, like the mortgage interest one, everyone remembers. And there's, there's some other ones that, you know, everybody gets. So it's just trying to remind people of those kind of more basic ones. Um, but yeah, it, it, unfortunately it happens where people get a tax return filed, hopefully not by us that are missing deductions. Okay. So I want to talk about how do people engage you and like, what are your fees? And then how do they get in touch with you if they want questions answered or this, that, and the other? Yeah. So if, if someone's trying to get a hold of me, I got a website where you can request a, a meeting or have a question. You can send it through there. So that's fine. It's uh, dehameraccounting.com. So D-E-H-A-M-E-R, then accounting spelled out.com. So there you can kind of request all of those things. And also um, I email, the email's on there. And that's ricky at behameraccounting.com. 
Um, but those, those are usually the two main sources of getting a hold of me. And then obviously a phone number, we have that too. So it's kind of any way is fine. Um, generally people are liking to send emails and we'll follow up maybe if a meeting, if, if we need to, but, um, yeah, it's, it's not going to be too hard to get a hold of me. I always have my phone on me. So, and then as far as, uh, fees go, you know, it's for, for a small business, um, that's, that need, that's just started up. I'm going to recommend probably the lowest amount of fees I can possibly charge. Cause I understand as a small business, when you start up, you don't really have anything. You're trying to cut back on buying the nice paper. You know, you're buying the bad paper, you're finding the generic staples, you know, it's, it's as cheap as you can get on some things, but don't go as cheap as you can go on some of your professional services. Cause if you just skip out of it and, you know, then come time to do your tax return, trying to get everything fixed, it's going to end up costing you more money than it would just to get someone going and having someone do your accounting or do help you out throughout the year. So for you know, for realistically for less than $200 a month, you can have someone do just the tax part of your business where you're handling all the accounting side. And obviously if you're, if if I'm doing everything or doing at least the accounting side and the taxes, generally I'm going to probably charge at least $400 a month for that. Um, Personal income tax returns, they're all over the board. I'll get someone with just a W-2 and the next person has 25 states that they worked in, you know, it's, it's, it's so, it's so all over the board, but on average, you know, your, your tax return is going to be right around $350. Um, Some are going to be less, some are going to be more. So that's just kind of a general look at it. Man, this has been super, I'd say enlightening about all this stuff. Thanks for getting on. And man, I just want to, we've loved working with you. And I'd say the clients that we have mutually is, is some of my favorites because we can call Ricky and kind of talk on behalf of the client, obviously that confidentiality. And it's been really efficient um, in some strategies that we've liked to go through for the client. We wouldn't have to call the client and say, hey, we need to set up another meeting with your accountant. It's pretty, it's pretty slick and seamless. So thanks again for all you have done for us in our practice and also all the clients that you've helped save in taxes. And so it's been super fun to just to get to know you a little bit more. And uh, we're excited about the future. And so, yeah. Thank you, guys. And it was, it was uh, nice to have, have you on. So, guys, you've been listening to the Uncommon Life Project. I've been your host, Philip Ramsey. And I am Brian Dewhurst. Thank you so much for listening. And go out and be uncommon. Love it. See you later. Goodbye. That's all for this episode of the Uncommon Life Project. Brought to you by Uncommon Wealth Partners. Be sure to visit UncommonWealth.com to learn more about our services. Don't miss an episode as we introduce you to inspiring people who are actively pursuing an uncommon life.